0: Y'all really welcome Clint as he comes up. Right. Thanks, man. <clears throat> More honor than is necessary, but the Holy Spirit always gives what's necessary at the time, right? So that's awesome. Uh, somebody say 316. That's the time I was awake this morning. So uh, somebody say good luck. Uh, what is this church with money on the floor? And a necessary tool, a terrible God, you know, keep it that way around, you'll be all right. Last time I spoke to you about the, uh, I have so much adrenaline rushing through me right now, I'm ready to preach for three hours, I I was in that room praying before the service and then I looked at the bookshelf and I'm like, oh Spurgeon, I shouldn't have opened that because then I was like, oh my gosh, let's go, you know, so um, it's a privilege to be here, thank you for spending your time here today. Yes, it is uh, wonderful to be together as community. Um, last time I spoke about uh, this beautiful merger we have between the spirit and our humanity, and our, our humanity is to be used and celebrated and not hidden from and not seen as something lesser than, but they work together in how we share the gospel um, today we 're going to do something a little bit different, miraculously. Um, But I actually want to make a little bit of a shift today, and a lot of what I uh, preach has to do with the reformation of the church, Uh, and I'm going to go down that road a little bit today. So I I want to say, like, if you're new here, or if you haven't been a Christian a long time, or you're watching online, hello online, on Wednesday, still here, um, then uh, just don't worry about it. There's a little bit of family business in here, but there's a few pieces for you as well. Um, but we, I want to address something bigger than, than all of us sitting here today, but something that you get to be a part of inherently, individually. And one of the things that I want to do is different if we get to it is I want to make a little shift away from the way that we learn and the way that we absorb information into our older way of doing it. You see, we absorb information very much on the Greek way of doing it. So it's like very structured. It's like a lecture. It's like take notes, this, that, all in order and that's it, receive the information. And I think we can all agree that the overflow of information in our age has actually stopped us from thinking for ourselves In many times. And we need to get the church, particularly, back to a place of asking questions. And what questions do is not necessarily provide you with the answer. I know that sounds strange. Questions are not there for answers. Questions are there for perspective. There's a big difference in your heart in asking that question and wrestling with truth. See, when you wrestle with truth, when you ask questions, something happens in that you get ownership of that truth when you come to it. Most importantly, you get ownership of the process. And I'd put it that the majority of certainly the Western church has, uh, well, this is a big statement, no real facts for this, just a feel, but I think... um, have lost the art of asking questions about our faith in particular. And we swallow stuff without really getting ownership. And that's problematic when we face trial and temptation, but it's also problematic to closeness of the Lord. And so I want to try and do this in 15 minutes, that's, uh, 20 minutes, <laughs> and then uh, take some questions. So here's how you pose a question, all right? Make sure your heart is right. You don't pose a question to challenge if you have challenge in yourself, that's a private discussion, not a public forum question. All right, think about how your question can help others, not just set you up as the most prideful person in the room. Okay. I know because I've been there many times. Okay? So your motive is important. Secondly keep it short, very important. <laughs> okay. And thirdly try to structure it in a way that you don't have to tell a whole story, it's just a short question. Okay? So as I speak about certain topics today, I want you to start thinking, and I'm relying on you now because this could be horribly wrong, but here's the thing, I'm actually going to give you a microphone to ask a question. So I don't know how many we'll get to, but we'll do two, three questions hopefully at the end. So think about your questions as I'm speaking about through these topics, all right? Three topics I'm going to speak about today. Purpose, very briefly. Tom did a great job last week. Uh, He spoke about purpose. I'm like, what? Okay, well, there goes half my sermon. Thanks very much. So he did a great job speaking about purpose last week, laying a foundation. More than anything, he spoke about spheres, spheres of purpose. And today I want to address one of those spheres in particular, and that is the sphere of the church. How does your purpose fit into the church? So you can come and sit here. I'm going fast, right? Everybody okay with the accent? We're all good? Great. Wednesdays, you can pause. I mean, onlines, same thing. So here's the thing. It's easy to come to church and not actually pick up the purpose of what we're trying to do. It's easy to come and be fed and go Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. And that's okay for a period. It's like training wheels on a bicycle. Okay? But at some point you have to understand what we're doing here and you have to understand what your buy-in is and what your purpose is in it. Okay? So we're going to go there a little bit. And then I'm going to speak to you about the state of the church at the moment. Church, big C, not church where we are now, but globally. So what's going on, and I'm going to say right now, I don't know all of this. I'm learning from people. I'm hearing. I'm listening to things. But I will tell you this, that this message and messages like this have been brewing in me as the main thing that I've come to America to deliver to the American church for just short of a decade. So this is not a sermon that I wrote this week. This is a life that I've wrestled with, okay? Okay. And thirdly, we're going to go to just your role in that big picture. Pointless telling you the big picture and not having an application, right? So, are you ready? All right, let's say I'm okay, let's go fast. That was terrible, let's try that again. I'm okay, let's go fast. All right, let's go fast. All right, so that's your roadmap. I want to remind you that there are big topics that we're covering, three big topics. In fact, when I wrote this whole sermon, I was like, oh my gosh, this should be one of these topics. Anyway, three big topics we're going to go, but I'll start with telling you this. Caroline Leaf does a great job of this and saying that you are created with an amazing mind. God created you with your mind to think, to process, to absorb information and to work it out. You are wonderfully made. And so when you think it's too fast, don't worry about it. It's getting in there. Um, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I want to remind you that the most important message given to the world is given to fishermen. Do not let the enemy deceive you about the simplicity that is Christ. No matter what kind of big topics we talk about, there is simplicity in it. It must always come down to simplicity, because i we're putting things out of our reach, right? The gospel's very simple, all right? It's not always easy, okay, but it is simple. So just to encourage you to go there, if you want to, you may open your Bibles to Genesis one twenty-seven, and we're going to start there, because I'm going to do a very brief piece about purpose, just a few minutes. One of the things we struggle with in life, especially if you're younger here, but surprisingly, the older folk as well. Young people never think that old people struggle with purpose, right? Purpose is something that goes with us through our life. But I put it to you that we have confused two things, purpose and context. They're different. Many people, when you speak to them about their purpose, they're actually speaking about their context. Where do they want to be one day? What do they want to do one day? What do they want to become one day? What influence do they want to have one day? That is not your purpose. Now, a whole lot of you should just go, oh... If I get my head around that, it'll relieve a lot, a lot of pressure. You don't have to achieve something to walk in purpose, right? Now, if that's not your purpose, then what is your purpose? The purpose is very simple, and this is, in my opinion, the greatest message on purpose you'll ever receive your whole life, and it's about 30 seconds long, all right? And it says this: It says, "So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female. He created them, male and female. Shout out to all the gender fluid guys going around at the moment." um oh that's just for me that just felt good to say it's okay (laughs) i get the whole thing i get the debate i think there should be equality but i think we're off the rails a little bit um oh don't go there davis just carry on see god created man in his own image what does that mean When you are created in the image of God, there's a particular opportunity in that verse. And if you break it down and take it back to the original text and you unpack it, you'll realize that bearing the image of God is your purpose. That is what you're created for. See, some people say, oh, when you become a Christian, you'll find your purpose. No, no, you're created with purpose. Purpose is inherently in your DNA. That's how you were created, with purpose. Context is a different thing. But purpose is in you. Your primary purpose is to display the image of God, the attributes of the Creator. Puts another whole, whole stick in somebody's eye if they don't believe there's a Creator. But there is a Creator, in case you didn't know. And Your purpose is found in His character. You have the opportunity to display His character. That is your purpose. Verse 26 actually speaks about a context, which is the earth and having dominion over the earth and all of those things. That's your context for your purpose. But it is inherent to you. And it's easy to lose your purpose in the church. It's very easy. See, when you're displaying, when you understand your purpose as the character of God being displayed through you, it means that wherever you go, your purpose can be. Whatever context God puts you in, your purpose is to display the image of God. Your purpose. So you can be in business, you can be on the sports field, you can be at college, you can be in church. Yet in church, it's the one that we often miss. Because we think the purpose of church has to do with the man on the stage. Or me being disciplined to check off some of my sin boxes by attending. Uh, That's just a soft entry. We'll get to more in a little bit. So that's really all I'm going to say about purpose. Hopefully that's enough. All right? Got a second point, a lot more bulk here. But I want to speak to you about Reformation. And... You've heard me say before many times that I believe we're in the greatest reformation in church history. This is actually something that God started showing me about eight years ago. And started speaking to me about the, the state of the church and where we're at. And when I say church, my, my understanding of the Eastern church is limited. But certainly the Western church, where we're at. I've grown up in all kinds of models, all kinds of size of, of churches, all kinds of things seen so much, you know, And been so challenged on stuff. um, But I'll say this at the outset when I start speaking about church and where we're at, particularly in our Western context, here's the number one rule you and me are not the critic of the church. There are far too many people running around pointing fingers at denominations or expressions or uh, whatever it is. And we are not designed to be the critic. There's one place for an accuser. His name's the devil, and that's not you. If you are in here, I'd love to have a word with you. (laughs) because There's a couple things we need to sort out. But you are not the accuser. It's a very heavy burden to bear that. Now, I walked in that place for a while, and it's unfulfilling, frustrating, and so far from your purpose, it's crazy. So don't be the accuser of the church. That said, there are people in this world who, just like other giftings, are elected watchmen in the church. That can look at things and go, we need to think about that. How is this going to play out in the future? Is this still centered around Christ? And so what I'm sharing with you is some of what those voices are sharing around the world as sort of a progress reco- report where we are right now. So don't be critical... Don't be the accuser. But the state of the reform of the church, we are seeing play out in many aspects right now. We are seeing big ministries, even small ministries, come under massive scrutiny. We can't hide it. There are even documentaries, I won't say which one, about who, coming out soon to streaming channels that you know, that are big exposés of large movements, church movements. The world has its eyes on the church not purely and often not with the right intent, but there's a lot, there's a lot coming out. Some of my heroes of the faith over the last year find out they they were not what they said they were, you know. Now, if I based my gospel on them, I'm in real trouble. We have to remember that they are men, fallible, or women, fallible. And... um and we have to understand that when there's a time of reformation, there's a cleaning that takes place. There's a pruning that takes place. And so what we're experiencing in the church right now, if you know anything about it, is a massive pruning of the church. Um, and so in that context, we have ministries exposed. We have ministers being exposed, sometimes abusive in nature, sometimes just acting out of their humanity and how they've treated people, sometimes worse, sometimes sexual misconduct I mean, listen, guys, if we can't speak about the elephant in the room, they're speaking about it for us. There's no hiding. If we are not built around the centrality of Jesus Christ, there is no hiding. We're a club. So, I wrote this down. This will, You'll enjoy this one. Um, Too often the church has made it extremely difficult to find Jesus. So it was funny coming to America because it's just so different. Like, preaching is perfect here. You know? And listen, understand this. Some of what I'm saying is for all the church. Some things are for other churches, not for us. (laughs) No, truly, I I, I can say that because I know these guys. These are our closest friends. I know how they lead. I know their hearts. We have conversations far beyond this on Sunday. So I know. I know the purity here. So I can say that. We're allowed to own the things that we're doing well. I have no space for false humility. We're doing that well. Like, these guys are pure, you know. But when we first came to America, it was like perfect preaching. Like, No notes. Perfect slides, everything. And I started speaking to some of those preachers. And the prep that went in just around presentation was just amazing. Perfect worship. Perfect lighting. Perfect stuff. I I missed the verse where it said it has to be perfect. I missed that. I really missed that. And it just doesn't have to be. In fact, the way you bring people into something is the way they carry on with expectation. So if you bring them into a perfect environment, they then perceive that they are expected to be perfect moving forward. Why do we have Christians that when they reach the first trial in their life, they fall away? Because they miss perfection. Because perfection is unattainable. But that's what we showed them. Hide your sin. Be perfect. Listen, there's a time for reformation in the church back to purity. And purity and perfection do not go together. We have perfect atmospherics, perfect preachers, perfect programs. And if you want to accomplish something with a gift place on your life, we're asking the church, oh, will you make a program for me to fulfill my gift? No, you go do it out there. If you're going to do it in here, make it available to other people. Don't expect churches to make programs for you. Go join a club. It's not going to be easy with Jesus. It's going to be fulfilling though. You'll never know yourself like you know yourself when you walk with the Lord. Ever. You'll never go places that you go with the Lord, both in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. In all this perfection, we must ask ourselves what or who are we actually worshipping? Are we worshipping our perfect preachers on the stage? Are we worshipping what we've put together in an event? Are we worshipping ourselves because we can say we're part of this church or part of that church? It's quiet now, but there's a lot of pride in that. I've been there. I've done that. You know? All that. There's no finger pointing here. I told you. I don't have answers. But this is a progressive conversation that we need to be having. Because if we find ourselves behind the curve on Reformation, we've got a problem. There are very few churches that are going to be the spear point of this this change. And I would love to be one of them. I'd love to have that that place in church history where we ushered that in. I want to be the Martin Luther nailing the the letters to the door of the church, going, it's about Jesus Christ, the centrality of Christ. On that point, by the way, you know in those points, a lot of what he was against was in the Catholic Church where, um, I had the word indulgences. Look at this, best friend. (laughs) The church selling indulgences. So they'd write a piece of paper, right? So it's like depending on what you've done the church, are given or whatever. There's all kinds of stipulations. Then your sin would be less because you had this indulgence. Dare I be so bold as to say to you that we don't really get away from that in the modern Western church either. When your attendance is noted and you're reminded... Where were you? My brother, I saw you on Tuesday night. You were here at the prayer meeting. Wednesday, the men's group, you were here. And Thursday, at, at worship practice here. But Friday, you weren't, where were you? I don't know if the Lord would be happy with that, you know. <laughs> Are you spending time with your wife? Oh, why don't you bring her with? You don't need a date night, do you? Here's a date night with Jesus, come. We do, even sometimes without saying it, we put stipulations on people where the level of the maturity of faith are directly tied to attending our programs. I don't hear Jesus in that. We've tried to make church easy for people. I don't know where this was a thing, like making church easy for people. I don't understand where that came from. Perhaps something of value, a little bit harder, would be held to closer. Because in trying to make it easy, we've tried to make it perfect. You see? And so we've broken the. Actually, we've broken the chain of command if you think about it. Good one. I should write that down. Let me remember that one there. That was a good one. But you see, perfection easily replaces perseverance. Perfection easily replaces perseverance. And so when we have believers that fall away because of disappointments based on our imperfection, they have no perseverance. What does the scripture say? Persevere. And then we get frustrated with people because they're not persevering in the faith. Like, yeah, you're not persevering because that's how you brought me into the faith. You said it was perfect. Now you're telling me I must persevere through what? I can't persevere through perfection. That's not a thing. You persevere through hardship. You see, if I'm going to come into your church and ask you, where's your perfection? I equally have the right to ask you, where is your suffering? Where is your sacrifice? The word passion is a great one in the Western church, right? Oh, just be passionate about it. Let's be passionate. Passionate. Passion. Give me the passion. Passion. You know what the word passion is actually theologically, suffering. The passion of the Christ was the suffering of the Christ. That's the theological word. So I ask you again, where is your passion? I don't. Where is your suffering? Now does it mean you must? I'm not. You know, don't say. Don't go away. I'm not saying. about. Where's your sacrifice? Where's where's your buy-in? Where's your ownership? That's what it is. Because if you own something, you're going to give for it. Totally out of time. See, the post-pandemic church for the large part in the Western world is trying to get back to business as usual. That's gone. There's no church as usual. There's a lot of people not coming back to church. Let me tell you, I hate to break your bubble. But I heard a a stat uh, the other day, 50% the latest figures, 50% of church attenders before pandemic are not coming back. Doesn't mean they're not walking with the Lord. It means a couple things and that's a whole other thing to, to go down, but it could be that they used to remote and online. On that note, let me say that coming into community is important. See, I've got friends in Australia at the moment. It's such an interesting story. Um, the one leads a church and is completely can I say hell-bent? Is that a South African thing? Is that? Can you say that from a pulpit? Oh, yeah, there's no pulpit. All right. So, hell-bent on that being the only true model of church, coming into a building. I've got another one who's hell-bent on going, we have to get out of the building, and we have to do it in people's homes. Okay? Now, they're not that divided and that clear. I'm just making a point, right? They're in conversation. That's good. But... The actual conversation here is how do we get ownership of faith? Whether it's in a building, in a church, in community, or whether it's in your home, in community, because there's still people in your home. But ownership builds community. Ownership makes you want to come into community. We come here because we own the same thing, right? We've taken ownership of something and we believe that this is where we rub shoulders others that have done the same. And so it's not one or the other. The question is what is the centrality of Christ in it? See, I I equally sat with people who said, like, Oh, well, I sit with Christians, Christian friends and I have lunch. That's our that's our communion time together. That's our community. I'm like, are you having lunch? Do you ever speak about Jesus? Do you ever pray? Do you ever that is there's a difference between intentional Christianity and building your faith and just getting together and hanging out. Don't mistake the two, you're not getting fed by both of them the same way. Because people hang out at the bar. And they get fulfilled. Don't make the mistake of thinking they don't get fulfilled. They do. They get fulfilled with ABV percentages. But they, they, also, get, they also get fulfilled with being around each other. Okay? And many other things. So fulfillment one thing. Ownership and growth is another. Understand that the context of the era in the world that we're living in right now is changing. We are in between eras. If you speak to cultural analysts around the world and I listen to some of their stuff, we're actually in between eras right now. We're in a gray area. Pre-pandemic was one era. It was a massive era before that, right? We are now moving into another era. Let me shock our little American minds for a second because I will be American shortly. On paper, in spirit I am. In spirit I am. But you know, America led the world for many, many, many years, right? As America went, the world went. It was a westernized world. That's changing. I had to tell it to you, we're about to start living in an easternized world. The stuff that the East is doing is far beyond, beyond what we're doing right now. Far beyond. Technolo- technologically far far more advanced it's just it's crazy you see what they're doing in japan it's insane what they're doing very 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 strong chance that we are going to be living in a more easternized world we we have to break our box about that what does that mean for the church well it means that the east has been practicing underground church for many, many, many decades. You know what they've been doing? They've been practicing spiritual disciplines. You see, not only we're at the end of an era, but we also have a massive push on individualism right now. Think about what pandemic did remotely. Took you out of the communities that you're used to at work and all that. It's built even further on the individualistic way of doing life. I don't need certain people around me. I don't want them around me. I'd rather be by myself or just my little family or just my. There's a lot of individualism. So, couple those two together in the movement of the world at the moment, and you've got an era that is about to be easternized, which puts us a little bit at arm's length of technology and things like that. We can no longer believe that we're the world leaders in these things. And an individualistic approach to spiritual disciplines. What's my point? If we are going to be the church that advances, we have to recover the individual nature of spiritual discipline. Richard Foster wrote a great book, Celebration of Discipline. It used to be called um, Spiritual Disciplines, and I think people thought that was a bit hard. But Celebration of Discipline, get your hands on it, it's amazing. Full of things that you can practice in your, in your discipline as a, as a believer. But we have to regather that, and we start regathering that with ownership. It's (coughs) 12.30. I'll take two more more minutes, and honestly, if if you're in here and you need to leave, I want to honor your time, and you're free to leave. You are free to leave. Not that I have to give you the freedom to leave. You can come and go as you want. sounds so crazy. But I will mark a check against your name as you... (laughs) As you walk out the door, <laughs> we're watching you. Wednesday onliners, <laughs> you know who you are. See Ezekiel forty-seven, and I'm just going to do just verse one. I can do a whole teaching on this. I can, we can go till Wednesday on this, but and then they tune in on time. Imagine if we did. <laughs> <laughs> they 're like 're still going um, ezekiel forty seven verse one, and if you know the context of Ezekiel, you know what i don 't want to give you all the answers. You can go and read it you 've got a Bible don 't you go and look <laughs> go and look in your Bible. Um, then he brought me back to the door of Ezekiel speaking, back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water is flowing from under the right side of the temple to the south of the altar. Now, there's a whole lot to this. I mean, it's just, this is amazing. My favorite piece of scripture. But there's a couple of things I want to bring out here. And if you know anything about this, Ezekiel, a watchman speaking about the church, seeing this massive vision. This is in the vision. I want to tie this back to when I preached last about being the temple is how I ended off. This is actually an image in here of you being the temple. This is not the church being of here, spoken of here. This is you. You are the temple. Okay, you're going to stay with me here. Good? Okay, the implication here is as the temple, the water flows out of you. Okay, the water flows out of you. can't flow out of you unless you own it, unless you have ownership of it. All right, the water flows out of you. It flows towards the east. Why is this important? Well, actually, if you do a study on the scripture and you take it back, you'll understand that east is important here. It flows out of the east because the Garden of Eden's gate to enter the garden was actually in the east. What's the point? What's the metaphor here? It's a full circle of back to identity and purpose. When the water flows from you, the temple, who Jesus said, you are the temple. When the water flows from you as the temple, and it goes through your life, through others' lives around you, it comes back to the point of life, the Garden of Eden. That's the metaphor. It's a full circle of identity and purpose. There's more on that. Some of you got that now. Some of you will have to go and read and research it. That's fine. Point is this. It also flows from the right side, by the way, which is the right side is authority. It speaks of authority. Some preachers speak about this river in Ezekiel as how deep are you? Are you ankle deep? Are you knee deep? Are you thigh deep? How deep are you? Are you in? How many meetings are you coming to? How how committed are you? Where's your passion? That's completely not what the scripture is talking about. And some of you can just be freed from that right now. You don't need to worry about that. Okay, This is actually, the river is actually the gospel. I always find it's amazing when people, when they preach about being ankle deep, knee deep, thigh deep. You know the end, of this, the end of that part is actually that he's brought back to the shore. He says, it was so deep that I could have to swim across it. But he doesn't. He's brought back to the shore. Because what's he being given? Perspective. He's not being asked to perform. What has been asked to do is be in the water. The water is the water of the gospel, actually. The gospel that flows through you as the temple and brings restoration. Okay? As it flows, it goes in the banks of that river. There's trees, there's life. Wherever the gospel goes through you as the temple brings life. We overcomplicate the gospel so much. Listen, the person in your office, the person on your sports field, whatever, that is lost at the moment, they need life. The gospel flowing through you as a temple is what will bring them life. You don't have to have it perfect. Water's messy. You can't contain it always. People get wet. <laughs> it's all right. Okay? Don't complicate it. It was given to fishermen. Simple. You're the temple. It's a great privilege to have that water flow through you. And it'll, it will bring life. It's a promise of God. Okay? It's the ownership of it. You see, it's not about shouting down denominations or movements or things like that. When we speak about Reformation, this is really what I want to get to right now, is the core of Reformation in this time. You want to be part of the biggest Reformation in church history? It comes down to one thing. I used to think we had to change the preachers on the stage. I used to think we had to change denominations. I used to think we had to change the way lights and things are done there's balance on all that. Um, And I'm not saying that those things are bad. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the moment they become a stumbling block to Jesus being the central figure in our faith, there's a problem. I don't mind lights. I like lights. I was a radio DJ. I don't mind perfect sound. I like good sound. I like all these things. But when that is our focus, When we think that's the thing drawing people in, we have an issue. And I'm telling you now, we have that issue in the Western church. And we're going to have to ask some serious questions of ourselves. And some of those things are going to cost us. It's going to be a suffering. Because for some churches, I'm probably watching online, maybe not, but one day. It means you're going to have to change your model. It means some people might not have jobs in the church anymore. What are we willing to sacrifice for the purity and centrality of Jesus? It might mean that you don't get to meet in your fancy building anymore. It might mean that the $4 million that you took, and a church actually did this, I'm holding back on that one, over COVID, instead of revamping your building, could have gone to people that needed the money in your congregation. Nothing wrong with renovations. But when the heart of such a renovation like that is, oh, we're getting more people and they're a different demographic. Hoorah, they tithe more. My friend, I would not want to answer for that one day. So, personal ownership, you owning the gospel, is the key to reformation. Not changing everything. Some things will change, but there's no point changing a model, changing a structure, changing an expression, if the heart of the person hasn't changed. When you look at preachers that you disagree with preaching messages that are whatever, one way or another, and you think, oh, well, that's wrong, it doesn't matter. Pray for his heart. Pray for the people. When the masses' hearts start to revolve around the centrality of Christ, the rest will change. Don't worry about changing from the top down, change it from the bottom up. You are the grassroots, you are the key to Reformation. You are the church, not the building. How are you doing? How are you owning your faith? What steps do you need to make? Not a pretty sermon for you to walk out here and go, oh, that was fun. Nice accent. What can you do to own your faith more? This is the thing you have to wrestle with. Because as you own your faith more, you'll discover your character more because you walk in the image of God and you're going to have this fulfillment like no atmospherics can give you. Own your faith. The future of the church depends on it. I'm done. Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. Thank you very much. Just wait. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Just wait. Thank you. Ownership creates these four things. This is my closing. Ownership creates four, four things. Closeness. Owning your faith will bring you closer to God and closer to those that you're walking with. If you feel alone, there's something about that ownership thing. Community, you'll want to be in community. I don't care if it's here, online, whatever. Be in community. Be in community in your home. Be in community here. Be in commu- community where you are. It'll do that. But ownership does it. You can't create community without ownership. It's called a club. And you can leave a club. You can cancel your membership. Jesus is not a club to be canceled. Three, character. You want character? You want to grow? You want to withstand the hard stuff? Have ownership. For conviction. If there's anything I want about my life, it's that I lived as a man of conviction. Be convicted about what you own. I really wanted to get to questions. Next time. They cannot email me. (laughs) Email the church if you have questions. Yeah, okay, here's the point, okay, here's the point, I don't I have time today, but I want to get to questions and answers, when you ask a question, it makes you think, it makes you think about how you own that piece of material, how you own that truth, okay, it makes you think about how you work it out, you don't have to have the answer, you just have to shape the question, answer will come, so because we didn't get to do it today, which is what I really wanted to do, but I just couldn't do it without the foundation, think about it in the week think about it when you leave here take your phone out open the notes write down questions about this questions about purpose questions about reformation questions about the church and how you fit in understand that you have you are you are the purpose here you are the one that carries the church okay what is your ownership of that how does it work out i'm not talking about joining a program or being at more meetings or anything how does it work out in your personal life okay do that do the questions okay um. They stand. I'll just pray, you guys. Thank you for your extra time. I appreciate it. I, I don't I don't want to manipulate your schedules or anything. Then again, I do have to stand before a king and know that I delivered something correctly. So, you're secondary. <laughs> I'm not here to perform for you. Uh, I'm here with you on this journey. Church is the most important thing as far as changing society and changing the world, changing structures. But if we're not doing it right, it's really not going to be effective. I want you to leave with this joy. You are a reformer. People press and speak about revival, and I'm all for revival. I want people to be saved. But at some point we have to ask ourselves, what are we bringing people into? I wrestled this with God for years and He gave me this sentence that describes the heart of it. The sustainability, because sustainability is important. We have not concentrated on sustainability for a while. The sustainability of mass revival rests on the church returning to her first love. We can have revival till the cows come home and even the cows can get revived. Some can't. Not at that barbecue place. anyway. Shout out to all the vegans and vegetarians. But we want mass revival. We want people to know Jesus. We want sustainability. But if it's not built on the centrality of Christ, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You are the one that gets to do this. Not by being the accuser or the critic, but by owning your faith. Be the river. Be the reformer. You have an amazing opportunity in church history to do something that many will never get a chance to be a part of. At the precipice of change. Back. Lord, we lay this at your throne. We ask you to highlight things in our weeks, in our days, in our minutes. About how we can own this faith with you more, Father. Lord, I just pray for highlights. Highlights throughout the week. Little ideas, Holy Spirit, of just, how about doing this? How about doing that? How about this conversation with God or that conversation with God? Father, will you create reformers? Will you help us own this incredible jewel that you've given us, that is the gospel. Will you help us own our relationship with you? Father, will you plant the seed deep in people's hearts? Let it burn. Amen. Thank you for your extra time. I do appreciate you.